Hello! Welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, so in this episode, I will begin taking a look at Herbert West Reanimator. I don't think I'm going to get through this this story. This I think is the longest story we've looked at in this podcast so far. Um, and, and that makes sense. It was actually written serially in six parts, so it's like a little, a little novella. Um, each part's not very long, though. The entire audiobook itself is only like an hour and a half. Um, but it, it's broken up, and a lot of that is recap. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit, the structure of the story. Maybe this is one of the faults of it. He didn't do this again in later serially published novels. Um, you know, it's just a huge chunk of this is, is going over stuff you already knew. But that, that comes from the fact that it was published uh, in six different parts. And it was published in, um, uh, well, the story itself was written in 1921 and 1922. It was published uh, throughout the year 1922 in Homebrew, Homebrew, an amateur journal. Uh, it would be reprinted uh, various times, uh, particularly in uh, Weird Tales in 1942, so that's after Lovecraft uh, died. Yeah, the final parts, part six of Herbert West Reanimator was published in July 1922, so six parts over six months in this, this small journal. Um, so anyways, uh, what to say about this story? Well, this is, it's a classic, of course. It's, it's one most uh, Lovecraft readers have read at some point in their lives. It's one that many other people have read. Um, it does kind of, um, you know, the, has a certain image of the zombie that's, of course, become very iconic in, in our pop culture. Um, not the Romero zombie, not the mindless uh, mass zombies, but uh, the type of zombie created by a scientist here, but different from kind of the, the classic kind of Haitian voodoo zombie, which of course I think those appeared in various types of horror literature and anthropology and ethnography um, in, the, in the late 19th and early 20th century. Look at my episodes on Sir Neil Hurston's investigations into, into Haitian voodoo. Uh, for a little bit more on that, that history. Um, but this is, is kind of a new uh, approach to the zombie, and of course it would appear often in, in history after that. The reanimated corpse, uh, the, the product of, of mad science. So, uh, yeah, let's, yeah let's, let's try to talk about the first three parts of this, um, this, this uh, short novel. Um, so the first part's called From the Dark, and mostly this deals with uh, Herbert West's uh, background as, as a student at Miskatonic University. So this is the first time uh, we see Miskatonic University being named. It's actually the first story set really in Arkham. Arkham was mentioned, of course, in the picture in the house, uh, or at least the Miskatonic Valley was mentioned, I think. Maybe not Arkham. Arkham itself's not mentioned. So I think this might be the first time Arkham is mentioned as a at an actual place, and it's the first story that has at least part of the tale set there. The beginning and the, um, pretty much just the beginning, it's just a few first few parts. It, it kind of leaves Arkham pretty quick. It's also got the first mention that I've seen of the actual phrase Arkham Horror, which of course, uh, if you are a board game player or a card game player, you know about the, the fairly successful uh, game series called Arkham Horror. It had spin-offs, Eldritch Horror and Elder Sign, and other games that have kind of um, <coughs> spun off from that. So yeah, so uh, Herbert West, when we meet him, is a is a student 
in his third year of coursework at the Medical School of Miskatonic University in, in Arkham. And our narrator is, is this close friend of Herbert West. And uh, I know some people out there have kind of offered up the theory that they're really one and the same. That's like two aspects of the mind of Herbert West, like the self-doubting, the, the more spiritualist versus the, the hard materialist, the brutal one. And I suppose there's no hard evidence yeah, that I found in the story that says that's not true. Uh, the story works just as well um, that way, I suppose. It's just a preference of how you how you want to read it. But but I kind of like the narrator being a separate figure that's kind of the, the hapless uh, assistant who gets dragged along in these experiments, even though he doesn't really fully buy into it, but somehow he's so fascinated by the science of it all that he just goes along with it. Now, Lovecraft doesn't waste any real time in in getting to the main theories behind Herbert West's work. Um, I will say though, like the basic foundational science that Herbert West is engaged in is already there. It's like that in the movie version too, which actually is quite good, at least the first one, uh, the reanimator film, I kind of like it. That's all set in Arkham and it's all set kind of in, in a short time period, although it has a lot of elements from different parts of the story, like the severed head stuff, um, the, the, the the zombies kind of coming back for their revenge, that stuff that's later in the story, much later in Herbert West's life, all that's condensed in the, in the movie version. But I think it still works because all the parts are, are sort of still there. Um, but this, uh, yeah, the first part of the story is really about the, 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 the science and the philosophy behind it. Because the science, I guess the science itself uh, or the technology of it isn't of that much interest to Lovecraft. Herbert West sort of already has this reagent that that already sort of works he's already done his experiments uh, on animals on guinea pigs rabbits cats dogs and all these things so he's already proven that you sort of can revive life uh using these animals he just needs to try it on a human right he needs human subjects so all that is pretty much established in the first page of the story that he's already established this reagent he's kind of become a nuisance in the college because of his weird experiments and he has you know made this breakthrough um, but now that he needs to move on to complete the life work of actually attempting this on dead human subjects i think we also get right away a mention that that it would be uh it would two other important points one is that different species different organisms require different reagents and um this even seems to apply to different races of human beings and different subgroups of humans and of course lovecraft being a racial thinker um, you know, doesn't necessarily hold humanity all in the same uh, biological community, and therefore you need different reagents. So it's just kind of a throwaway line later, but I think if you're interested in Lovecraft's racial thinking, that's an important throwaway line. Um, but certainly every animal needs a different reagent. So he's also kind of experimented in different formulations to work with different, different animals. But I think also established early on here, is the fact that he needs a fresh subject that that you can't take someone who's like you can't take like a skeleton or someone who's been dead a long time um because you you know the, the body needs to be fresh because once those like neurons break down once the you know the body starts to break down it really even if you could revive it you're not going to revive it into anything useful and certainly nothing with rational thought so anyways the philosophy behind this is is basically a strict materialism, right? And so the, the, one of the big contrasts in the story is between Herbert West's materialism and the narrator, who I don't think is ever named. I guess that's more if you want to imagine him just as being a side of Herbert West, you could do that. 
uh, and it's helped by the fact that he's not named. Um, but if you, uh, he's more a spiritualist. He has some belief in kind of the human soul, at least some aspect of it. Mostly he seems to hold with the materialist perspective of West, but he embraces a slightly uh, different uh interpretation kind of having some leaving some space for a soul to to exist there um so anyways as for uh west strict materialism lovecraft writes holding with heckle that all life is a chemical and physical process and the so-called soul is a myth my friend believed that artificial reanimation of the dead can depend only on the condition of the tissue and that unless actual decomposition is set in a corpse fully equipped with organs may within suitable measures be set again going in a peculiar fashion known as life, right? So even the definition of your life here is just strictly materialistic. He doesn't want to even give any kind of spiritual or extraworldly component to, to life itself. It's just something we call life, right? Everything is, is to totally mechanical and therefore revivification of some sort is, is certainly possible. That seems to make sense to me. So anyways, Herbert West has had some success with his experiments. He's well known on the college. He's, he's run a follow of the Dean Halsey, who's a very important character in the story and quite an interesting one, especially in, in part two of the story. There's some really cool stuff, interesting stuff going on with that character, and I'll get to that. Um, but basically, there's a lot of doubt here because they're saying, well, you're just fucking with us, essentially. That cat you revived isn't really dead. You know, you show some signs of life, but that's just, you know, it doesn't really, it's not true. You're not really working. It's, it's either it's not really dead or whatever the reagent's doing. It's not bringing back, back life. Um, but anyways, these two students, heedless of the warnings of the administration and the hierarchy of the school and the dean. And that's another important theme, I think, in the story is the individual versus the institution and the, and the scientist versus the institution here. Um, I, I think it, what's fascinating about that is like, our kind of mythology of the scientist tends to be that it's the counter it's it's the rebel the rebel who has an idea that's somehow radically different the copernicus or the newton or the galileo standing up to the institutions and and proven right in the end right whether you're the mad scientist or the or the good scientist who makes some achievement that's beneficial for mankind now of course the mad scientists think their their discoveries will always help mankind too but we'll get we're, you know regardless of that do you have a uh, this kind of individual versus the institution history of science. And I would argue that's basically bullshit. Um, most science is done, of course, in institutions, through established rules, through hierarchies, through, uh, you know, largely in the service of the powers that be, whether they're the state, whether they're corporations um, or some other entity. And and it's just myth-making to kind of focus on a character like Galileo and, and his, and his moment where he stood up to Catholic Church or whatever. Um, and there are scientists that maybe fit that bill, uh, that really are revolutionary figures that, that change our perspective of things. But even they largely do things within standard institutions and standard practices of science. So um, the fact that you could you know, take this countercultural narrative of the, of the scientist and kind of extend it to all science history, I think, is, is wrong, but it makes for good mad scientist stories. I mean, I think that's where it's probably most useful uh, is, is, is the mad scientist always thinks that he's that uh, persecuted genius. 
So anyways, they jump right into it and they start searching for bodies and they become grave diggers. And this is really wonderful. First, we get a little bit of the Arkham geography. We, we know certainly by the end of his career, Lovecraft had a fairly well-formed geography of Arkham. Uh, this has become, of course, important in role-playing games and, and board games that try to replicate Arkham. Uh, Lovecraft drew a map of Arkham later on in his life. So we start to get the geography of, of it. For instance, we get uh, two cemeteries. Uh, we got Miskatonic University, and we also got these cemeteries. We get some of the different class, the classes in different districts of, of the town, which is interesting, too. Um, in fact, here you have it as well in the cemeteries. You have the Christchurch Cemetery, which is basically where the middle class and the rich are buried, and you have the Potter's Field, where everyone else is buried. Now, the difference here is the people at Christchurch are embalmed, so they're useless for West's study. People at the Potter's Field are just thrown into the, the, the potter's field are basically the pauper's graves, right? It's uh, a fancy term for the, the grave for the general population that can't afford a proper normal burial. So they're not embalmed and they're just sort of thrown in as soon as their body is found on the street or whatever. So that's the place they end up having to go. So almost by necessity, West is forced to prey on the working class, right? And the, the class element here in this story runs so deep. It's in so many different parts of the story. And of course, I think this has been written about when talking about like Frankenstein and the fact that, you know, Frankenstein also is grave robbing. Um, and this comes out of an actual real history of science in like 18th, 19th century England requiring bodies for study, right? Students at the medical school needed bodies to experiment on. Now, where are these bodies going to come from, right? The rich usually don't offer up their bodies to medical research. Um, most people don't, I guess, even the poor, but the poor's, pe poor people's bodies could be exploited and, and taken. And there's a whole market for this where grave diggers would actually dig up bodies, sell them to the universities for, for money. Um, and there's even a story, actually, actually uh, Leslie Klinger in his uh, Lovecraft anthology, which has great footnotes, mentions a couple serial killers that actually made a career of killing people and then selling their bodies to uh, universities. And that's what helped encourage a reform, a law that would actually create a more steady supply of bodies for scientific purposes. But another group of people that were commonly preyed upon in like 18th century London for these purposes were condemned criminals. So there's sort of a revolving door from Newgate to uh, Tyburn, where people were hung to the medical schools. And there's a book called Monsters of the Market, which explores this aspect in, in some detail. I think, I think it's a pretty good book. A bit academic-y, a bit formal. It's, it's a formal kind of history that ties to some literary themes. It's very Marxist, but I think it's a very, very great book. Um, but anyways, every, every part of this story has some kind of class dimensions. Either it's this individual versus the institution tension of Herbert West, but in the background of that, there's a much larger class conversation almost always taking place, and, and I think that's just a notable part of the story that, that maybe it's not always on the forefront of people's minds when they want to talk about Herbert West reanimator, but it's certainly, certainly there for us to think about. Um, so anyways, they go out looking for bodies. They also need their own lab because, you know, they're not going to be able to do this kind of stuff in the, in the university. So they actually kind of take over a deserted farmhouse out in the outskirts of, of, the, of the town in a place called Meadow Hill. Meadow Hill. So we get sort of another location that gets mentioned in other stories set in Arkham. So again, he's kind of beginning to build up the geography of Arkham itself. So they take to looking for um, the dead. 
and you know what they do they look at the newspapers they look at basically the police blotters to find people who have recently died um people who preferably have died of some kind of accident that didn't mutilate them that didn't have disease old people no good because their bodies aren't going to be viable anyways you need to have all your organs functioning here that's actually never answered here there, there's one point in the story where the statement is like if we can keep giving people re the reagent they can live forever right they can keep being revived but he also says that once organs break down the body's not really usable anymore right so you know normal aging still seems to affect um people and so if you were to give this to a 99 year old person who just died maybe you'd revive them but those organs would still be failures and that person wouldn't live very long right that, that's kind of how i read it so it's not eternal life but there is that one line where the suggestion is you can keep giving people as long as you keep giving the reagent they'll be able to kind of sputter along um, but that seems to contradict the idea that the organs need to be intact um, Maybe if you keep drowning or something, you can keep being revived, I guess. Um, but anyways, they, they finally get uh, a notice that they like, uh, a victim who was, I believe, drowned. So we get to like the very first experiment. Um, yeah, a brawny young workman drowned. Almost all of the people that Herbert West experiments on, with one exception, are, are from the working class. Um, racial minorities, ethnic minorities. People that Lovecraft describes in quite hostile terms, the way he often describes working class immigrant populations as being people without real serious minds, of being kind of degenerate or whatever. There's a lot of that here in the story, especially in the first half. Later on, he doesn't kind of focus so much on the victims of West experiments anymore. He focuses uh, more on the, you know, it's more the war and the comeuppance of, of, of West's experiments. But they go into the potter's field. And here's a really fascinating line that I want to come back to you at some point in our analysis. Quote, the process of unearthing was slow and sordid. It might have been a gruesomely poetical if we had been artists instead of scientists. And we were glad when our spades struck wood. So some kind of contrast between the scientist and the artist. And um, the idea being here that somehow the artist, someone who has an artistic mind, will appreciate the grotesqueness, the, the horror of it, much more than a scientist, right? And even Herbert West he kind of has, seems to have his doubts from time to time. He needs to go forth for science, obviously, but even he has his doubts and his fears. But somehow the belief that an artist could see past that and see sort of true beauty in the grotesque is kind of wonderful. It foreshadows Pickman's model, um, but also other stories in which there are some characters who somehow see a beauty in something beyond even in the music of Eric Zahn, there it's not art but music, but somehow there's a kind of a beauty to that outerworldly music that Eric Zahn is, is engaged in. But it's something I want to keep in mind because it, it does show up again in the story uh, very subtly. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's important, especially when we get to Pickman's model, the, the idea that the grotesque, the horrible, the horrific, or in Call of Cthulhu too, there it's a poet, I believe. Uh, maybe there's an art artist as well, an artist dreamer there. But in, in these different stories, the artist somehow is more in touch with the cosmic horror than even the scientist. Um, so uh, they take this guy back. They dig him up. They take him back to their, their makeshift lab in the old farmhouse. And we get the description of him, very uh, class-based description. Quote, it, has been, it had been a sturdy and apparently unimaginative youth 
of wholesome plebeian origins, large frame, gray-eyed and brown-haired, a sound animal without psychological subtleties and probably having vital processes of the simplest and healthiest sorts, end quote. You know, none of which anyone could know about uh, based on looking at the dead body, but um, that's what you got. So anyways, Wes finally got his dead body that he can experiment on. So he prepared, they actually are prepared for the worst though. Wes doesn't think it's going to work. He thinks uh, there wasn't going to be much chance for success, but you have to start somewhere and you have to get into it. Um, but here's our first sign that our narrator doesn't agree with West fully on the philosophy behind his work. Um, Herbert West, or, or sorry, the narrator says, I myself still held some curious notions about the traditional soul of man and felt an awe at the secrets that might be told by one returning from the dead. I wonder what sights this placid youth might have seen in inaccessible spheres. So he wants to know about the afterlife. Our narrator wants to know about the afterlife. That's his motivation. He is very much like the character in Stephen King's recent novel, Revival, where he's kind of doing the same. He's, he's not really reviving. I guess he is doing some li reviving life, but his goal is purely to know what's beyond the veil, what, what happens in the afterlife, because he can't get over the fact that his wife and, and, and child died. Great book, by the way. Great book. Um, I'm really excited to see the adaptation that's coming uh, sometime in the future of that. So our narrator is closer to that point of view. Wes, though, seems to be just a pure materialist who wants to prove he can uh, bring back life and in doing so prove that there is no soul. Really, they have opposite goals. I think Wes wants to prove there isn't a soul by bringing back the dead. Um, so anyways, he, he, they put this thing in. They put the formula the reagent in and it failed it seems to fail so he's they go downstairs to big and dig a grave um in the cellar because they got to hide the body um but they hear then while they're digging the grave they hear a moan or a, a, some kind of sound from upstairs and when they go up there the body's gone um and and they flee or maybe they flee and then the body leaves it doesn't matter. But anyways, they don't actually see what happens to this body, but it got up somehow. It, it worked. The revival worked, and he went off into, he vanished. Now, the only evidence that he's still there, is still around, is obviously the body's missing. But the, the next day, uh, they find evidence, I guess the police or someone finds evidence that, an, quote, an attempt has been made to disturb a new grave in the potter's field, as if by futile and spadeless clawing at the earth. That we can understand, for we patted down the mold very carefully. So you're saying it couldn't have been us. It couldn't have been evidence of us digging up the grave. There must Someone else must have come back. So why does this guy want to go back to his grave? Maybe that's all he knows. It's interesting, so many of the bad guys, the zombies, they're not really bad guys, but they, they sort of end up being villains of the story, want to come back to West. Somehow they're drawn to West. Um, but in this case, he wants to go back to his grave, I guess. But we, they, you never find out really what happens to this this zombie but it allows lovecraft to create this kind of ongoing fear lovecraft or west will have this fear throughout his whole life of this first experiment coming back to get its revenge on him quote for 17 years after that west would look frequently over his shoulder and complain of fancied footsteps behind him now he has disappeared um so one last thing about chapter one we have now uh, essentially a date uh if you know how the story the story ends around in 1920 so I don't think we were given a date, but it places it like in 1903, the events of the, when the story begins anyways. So just to recap uh, chapter one, um, 
we get our introduction to Arcom. Uh, we have something here about the nature of science, I think, especially this, this kind of heroic vision of the scientist against the institution. That's going to really be deepened in a later chapter. A lot on class, a lot, especially the grave robbing, the body, the nature of the victims of West experiments. Um, the relationship between institutions and investigation, somehow anti-institutionalism becoming a, a motivator for investigation, the vapidness of the institutions themselves, their conservatism, and then uh, certainly the philosophy of Herbert West, his materialism versus the, the more somewhat the, the fractional spiritualism of our, of our narrator. So that gets us into part two. Part two is called The Plague Demon. The Plague Demon. And um, so this is, the title for this comes from the fact that this chapter is set one year later um, while there's still students at Miskatonic University. Um, and, and it's during a plague, a typhoid plague. So this, of course, gives West an opportunity to maybe find some bodies to experiment on. But the one he finally ends up trying his reagent on is not the one you'd expect. From the, from the beginning, um, but some fascinating things happen in this story, this this part of the story, this chapter. So really, throughout this, uh, the plot of this one, I guess maybe maybe I'll try to do the plot very quickly here, so I don't get kind of boiled down in the line by line analysis, or we'll never be done here. Um, the first few paragraphs are the recap. Well, it starts out saying talking about the plague, and then he goes into a two paragraph recap. This one's fairly short compared to other recaps. Some of the other recaps in this book, the other four can be quite long. I think the chapter six one is like half of the story. Half of the chapter is like a recap of the previous book. And it has to be if you imagine someone just reading part six without the background. Um, but the here we just got two paragraphs that are our recap. And the focus is on Dr. Alan Halsey as someone who has been an antagonist of Herbert West and that first experiment. Um, so a lot. Uh, so West, in the context of this plague, is facing the hierarchy of the institution, and it's represented by Doctor Doctor Halsey. Um, and the plague eventually hits, and of course these medical students get drafted into into help. And this is not the only time this happens, because later on they're going to go to World War One together. And West is going to do a great job actually being a field surgeon. His real goal is to do these experiments, but. He's capable of being a good doctor, and, and not if he wasn't so obsessed with these these weird things. So, you know, there's a suggestion here that that West really is onto something here, and he's not an idiot. He's certainly not just a pure mad scientist. He he does have an interest in preserving life, and he's capable of doing it. But um, the real hero that shines during this plague is none other than Dean Halsey. Um, and even West can't quote could not withhold admiration for the fortitude of his foe, but because of this was even more determined to prove to him the truth of his amazing doctrines. Um, but Halsey was, you know, such a commanding figure during the plague, organizing the medical response to the plague. Uh, he he gets praised throughout the community, and when he just falls over dead one day, overwork, I think nervous exhaustion and physical fatigue is the diagnosis Lovecraft gives. Uh, he, you know, he gets this like state funeral, <laughs> essentially. He's like, the whole town comes out for his funeral. Um, he be, where is it? Uh, 
The students all attended the hasty funeral on the 15th. This is quoting Lovecraft and brought an impressive wreath, the later which was, was quite overshadowed by the tribute sent by wealthy Arkham citizens by the municipality itself. It was almost a public affair for the dean had surely been a public benefactor. After the entombment, we all were all somewhat depressed and spent the afternoon at the bar of the commercial house. Um, so they're drinking. And then they, that night, they kind of, I think after a few beers, it seems, they get the idea, why don't we dig up Halsey? We don't learn it's Halsey. Well, you kind of know if you read carefully. It's obviously Halsey's their second experiment. But it's never mentioned by name by the narrator till I think part six, chapter six. Finally, it's straight up said it was the dean was this experiment. But it's pretty obviously him. I mean, the last line of this chapter is, one of the last lines of the chapter is that he looks very much like Halsey. Of course, Halsey's dead, so it couldn't be that, but most people say it's a coincidence, but our narrator knows better. But I love how the fact that, I love the fact that Lovecraft never allows a narrator to fully admit what we all know uh, to to the reader or to himself. He's somehow in some kind of denial. Um, so they try to reanimate him, um, and he does. He wakes up, and then he gets free. These guys are pretty irresponsible if you think about it. They don't really. They seem to be good scientists some of the time, and Wes seems to be a good doctor, but not the best at like controlled experiments. He's he let the first two get away, um, but Halsey he he basically as the zombie goes on a murder rampage throughout Arkham. So it's kind of described here as a second plague affecting the town. There's actually 14 victims. He kills 14 people and three other people in stricken houses these are the places where the plague hit and they're already dead those bodies have been eaten so he he basically ate 17 people 14 of which he killed himself um and finally they capture him the police get together and capture this madman who's been terrorizing the people of arkham and he's sent to the insane asylum because he's obviously nuts and that's when the revelation is that he looks very much like the late dr alan halsey what a coincidence right and west the final line of the chapter is, you know, damn, that body wasn't fresh enough, was it? We need an even fresher body. So let me go a little bit more uh, in a little more detail some of the th things in this, this chapter that I think are important. And I think here, more than any other chapter in the book, we get the, the, the kind of the beleaguered, oppressed scientists versus the institutions which are rooted in conservatism and intellectual myopia uh, like he writes he's got a whole section of this here um, only greater maturity this is he's talking about West only greater maturity could help him understand the chronic mental limitations of the professor doctor type the product of generations of pathetic puritanism kindly conscientious and somewhat gentle and amenable yet always narrow intolerant custom ridden and lacking in perspective age has more charity for these incomplete yet high souled characters whose worst real vice is timidity and who are ultimately punished by their by general ridicule for their intellectual sins. Sins like Ptolemyism, Calvinism, anti-Darwinism, anti-Nietzscheanism, every sort of Sabbatarianism, and sumptuary legis legislation. West, young despite his marvelous scientific attainments, had scant patience for with good Dr. Halsey and his erudite colleagues. What a great summary, I think, of of the of the young intellectual frustrated by 
the conservatism of his professors. I mean, there's truth to this probably in every field, not just medicine and not always involving kind of this stuff, you know, mad scientist stuff, but sometimes just involving uh, the nature of ideas, right? I think it's a bit too hard on these institutions, though. I, I'm as anti-institutional as the next guy, but, you know, I've... Never, I never had professors tell me, like, you can't write a paper on that or, or, or you must write this way or you must follow this tradition. Of course, I was in the humanities field. Maybe in science you find more of that. Maybe, that's, maybe science is more conservative than, than other fields. Um, but what happens here, this is where it gets bad, this anti-institutionalism. It has, its be- it has its benefits, right? You need to question the institutions to kind of move knowledge forward. But where it gets kind of weird and perverse is when West's motives become not really science anymore, but revenge or drama, triumph over those who kind of got in your way. You know, and, and there's kind of been a movement here towards that. And this is one reason I think he, after a few beers, they decide to go out and dig up Halsey's body and, and try to reanimate him. So um, yeah, I think that's all we really do need to say about part two. Um, the plague is an interesting addition to the story because it creates a great context. In fact, you would have expected more reanimation in the plague because it would have been all the victims. But I, maybe West thought plague victims themselves wouldn't be the best um, candidates. But if we see where West is by chapter four, maybe he could have uh, had a more prosperous year during the plague. But I think mostly what's going on in this chapter is the institutional tensions. You have, of course, the institutional conservatism railed against by West. Um, but also you have the insane asylum um, being introduced here. Of course, that's something that's it's a little bit more of the, of the geography of, of, of Arkham. This might be outside of Arkham, though. It's, it's a place called Sefton, the Sefton Asylum. I don't know if that's in Arkham or not. Um, but in any case, it's part of the, the landscape of, of Arkham another institution and um yeah the second plague i think the second arkham horror that's the way he said it the court second arkham horror being the serial murderers by halsey's corpse that's a great use of, of language there but anyways yeah that's it um so oh another thing though that this halsey in the asylum is going to be we're going to be reminded of that constantly through the rest of, of the story i think four or five other times this insane zombie the zombie well, he's not insane he's just a zombie who looks to outsiders to be insane because you know they're not these guys aren't revived rational at least not yet all right um part three chapter three six shots by midnight this uh, uh yeah let's this will be the last one i'll look at today I'll do a second episode on Herbert West Reanimator. It's a good one to talk about with a little bit more detail. Um, I love the beginning of this. It is uncommon to fire all six shots of a revolver with great suddenness when one would, pro- one prob- one would probably be sufficient, but many things in the life of Herbert West were uncommon. It's a great pitch, like why is he shooting the revolver and, and why six bullets and not one? Um, and then that kind of mystery falls into the secrecy that our narrator and Herbert West are kind of engaged in. They're now sort of beyond the university. They're, they're on their own. They got their own practice now, but they still have to do their work in secret. 
their real work, their secret work. Um, so they get a general, they become general practitioners uh, in kind of the outskirts of town. Um, and they chose a house near the potter's field. So they keep their lab, their secret lab in their house. A lot of class elements in this chapter, too. As I said, this kind of permeates the story. I think that's maybe the strongest thematic in this story is class, class uh, tensions and, and hierarchies within institutions. Added here a little bit is the social isolation. So our, our narrator becomes more isolated as the story goes on. Begins the story kind of part of the, of the Miskatonic University community. His association with West gets him, makes him a bit of a pariah. By this point, he's, they're, they're like literally isolating themselves by, by creating their home in the outskirts of town, by where the poor people live. And these are people they aren't going to associate with. They don't have any really relationship with their new neighbors, except to use them as, as their research, um, prod, you know, research subjects. Then we get the recap. It's, it's a little bit longer than previously, um, I think. Uh, oh, actually, this one's shorter. Uh, they do get long. This one's like one and a half paragraph recap where we get some of the background of the story um, for the parts one and two. The, the previouslys, the previouslys on Herbert West Reanimator, sections of the story. So they get their, set up their practice. Oh, it's in Bolton. They set up their practice in Bolton, but they live in our community of the Potter's Field. Um, so they, they, they're actually all day hanging out with working class people living in the poor part of town, but they don't seem to have any connection to that class. It's, it's all purely utilitarian for them. It's just, um, in fact, I think one reason Wes seems to want to work in the mill is he, he's, he's hoping to get some subjects from people who will die you know, in the factory, just regular factory experiments. Um, you know, and Lovecraft actually spends a lot of time here describing the geography of their practice, their house and the potter's field and the factory and, and how they want to make this ideal so they don't have to travel too far to get bodies, but also not travel too far to work. It's a, it's a big concern because they're trying to be secret. They're trying to be undercover. And if you're dragging bodies across town, people are going to tend to notice that kind of thing. But the result of this, in any case, is total isolation for our narrator and West. And it's partially self-imposed. Um, you know, quote, our practice was surprisingly large from the very first, large enough to please most young doctors and large enough to prove a bore and a burden to students who real interest lay elsewhere. The mill hands were of somewhat turbulent inclinations, and besides their many natural needs, their frequent clashes and stabbings gave us plenty to do. Um, so, but instead of going fully into that community and that, that life and being a good doctor for these working class people, uh, they become, you know, they, they see them just as subjects for their experiments. There's even a suggestion here that they're sort of, uh, well, here's where we get the first clear description that racial differences are required for this reagent that West has developed. He's already established different animals need different variations of the formula. Um, here he writes, West was experimenting madly to find something which would start man's vital motions anew after they've been stopped by a thing we call death, but had encountered a more ghastly obstacles. The solution had to be differently compounded for different types. What would serve for guinea pigs would not serve for human beings, and different human specimens required large modifications. So he's talking about race here, racial differences. 
Uh, so they're like biologically different. It's like different medicine for different different races. I guess now is a good time to mention that that West himself is mentioned as blonde uh, and blue eyed. He's he's much more presented as a, as the Aryan type. So um, the good news for Herbert West and his and his assistant here are there's a lot more specimens in Bolton, right? Busy. There's been uh, a lot of brutal murders and violent fights that lead to deaths. So more experiments and. You know, we don't get the description of each of these experiments. We know none of them really succeed. Um, whereas, like, uh, in one period of time, they had three, right? One a total failure, one had muscular motions, and one rose and uttered its sound, but none of them really um, did much. It seems only that first case walked up. Well, Halsey, too. Those are the first two that actually walk around. Other cases since then were more... Um, more failures. So, anyways, get onto the story. Uh, the The climax of this chapter comes when they're, you know, they start. West in the in the narrator here want a really fresh body. They know they're going to need one. They haven't been getting one. They gotten a few more bodies since going to Bolton, but not fresh enough. So they decide to go to the underground fights. Boxing banned in this town. This, because of the prevailing sense of Puritanism. So boxing is, is banned, so they, it goes driven underground. And they think, wow, now's our chance to, I mean, we can pose as doctors, right? It, we, it makes good sense that they would be at these fights to help them, but also allow them to grab up a body that someone gets killed in a fight, and then you could quickly, you know, try your thing on them. That's the plan anyways. And so we get uh, the fight that's most important here is the one between Kid O'Brien Quote, a lubbery and quickering youth with a most un-Hiberian hook nose. And Buck Robinson, the Harlem smoke. The Negro had been knocked out, and so he loses the fight. Um, and his description is, is, is Lovecraft at his worst kind of racism. Quote, uh, he was a loathsome gorilla-like thing with abnormally long arms, which I could not help calling forelegs, and a face that conjured up thoughts of the unspeakable Congo secrets and tom-tom poundings under a neary moon. Pretty, pretty bad uh, language. Uh, I don't want to maybe say too much more about this here. It's just, you know, he's always doing this, and it's just going to be part of his career. I'm more interested in kind of the ideology behind it and how it connects to deeper issues of history, um, philosophy of civilization, eugenics, and those things. So this story doesn't really give us that much on that side of it. It's just... Lovecraft at his kind of vulgar, visceral racism. It's like the cat, the cat's name thing, right? It's, it doesn't tell us much. It, all it tells us is that he was a bit of a racist, right? Lots of people were, obviously. But not many racist people thought about it the way Lovecraft did. And he's not showing that thought in this story the way he does, even in something like uh, Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Um, but it's just worth noting here that he gets some... Um, this is trigger warning, uh, you know, language that's worthy of a trigger warning, perhaps. It's that bad. Um, I mean, he even says this, the body must have looked even worse in life, but the world holds many ugly things. Um, anyways, he dies. This, this man dies. And they take him to, um, 
you know, they, they're, they're fearing the police, so they sneak the body away and they take him to their lab and they try the reagent on him, right? Now, it seems it doesn't work, but you'd think they'd lose their, learn their lesson. This happened with their first experiment where it didn't work right away and they, they left. You know, here it didn't work, so they go to bury the body and, you know, they drag the thing to the potter's field to bury, it, bury the body and they're fearing the police, and that's their main concern at the time. They're not concerned that maybe this reagent will work just like it did with the first case. Um, but anyways, they just bury it. And then later on, a child is missing, a young boy, a lad of five from an Italian family. And out of kind of, you know, there's a manhunt, a search for this kid. And out of the, the horror of losing her ch ch child, this mother dies. It's really, really nasty stuff. The, the husband lives, though. And continues to to want to find the kid um, you know they even are you know involved searching they're searching through the woods and all that and West is just kind of freaking out about this because he knows it's it's you know it, he's involved in some way I think West was even called in to try to save the life of this Italian woman and he fails so he kind of killed two members of this family uh, through his you know, in the one case, experiment, in the other case is just failure to help her. Um, but anyways, he finally comes back home after trying to save this Italian woman's life, uh, goes to sleep. And then there's like this knocking on the door. Um, and that's when Wes goes out and fires his gun the six times, the revolvers the six times. So it resolves the mystery from the first line of the, of the story. Why would someone shoot all six bullets? Well, one reason you would shoot all six bullets if it was like a, a big zombie you know, that has like a kid's arm, a four-year-old kid's arm in its mouth. Uh, and that's what it was. Uh, that's the last uh, s paragraph here. Reads, For that visitor was neither Italian nor policeman. Looming hideously against the spectral moon was a gigantic misshapen thing, not to be imagined save in nightmares. A ghastly-eyed ink-black apparition nearly on all fours, covered with bits of mold, leaves, and vines, caked with, followed with caked blood, and having between its glistening teeth, a snow-white, terrible, cylindrical object terminating in a tiny hand. So that explains why you'd shoot all six bulls, I suppose. Now here's the tricky thing about the race aspect of it, right? The race and the solution. Because they believe, and West believes, that different races need different solutions. Uh, the same way different species need different solutions. And I didn't notice this until I was on the SF, SFF um, audio podcast, and uh, one of the participants, Mr. Jim Moon, I think pointed this out, and, and I confess he's right. It's, it is kind of an interesting twist on the racism here because the solutions they tried on this man were from, they prepared for white people because everything they had was for white people. They didn't have a specimen created for black people, right? And so they try a bunch of these different solutions that were prepared, quote, from experience with white specimens only. And they kind of immediately assume it's not going to work. So that's why they, they dump the body as soon as they can. But it does work. So, in fact, the solution isn't race contingent. The narrator thinks so. Wes seems to think so. We're meant to think so. But very subtly, he points out here, yeah, actually, it was the stuff made for white people that works. So there wasn't a racial difference in, in the end. So it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a twist. It doesn't, like, suddenly forgive everything else Lovecraft says about black people, that there's a little bit of subtlety here, but uh, nevertheless, it's, it's there. So 
obviously in this chapter a lot of interesting stuff on class especially the neighborhood that they live in uh race is this is the only part of the story that really deals with race in a direct way um and a lot of social isolation the these are middle class elite doctors who hide themselves away uh to pursue their work hide themselves from the institutions that on the one hand cultivated them like the university but also hiding themselves from the police constantly institutions that are meant to protect them um and then we also have someone sort of returning to west i think halsey we don't know because he's in it he never he i mean he was running amok for killing 14 people so he never returns to torment west the first guy tries to go to his grave this one he returns to to herbert west's house uh, it's not, not clear why. I mean, he's not going to be the last to try to return to Herbert West. Um, but I'll just keep that in mind. So there we have it. 48 minutes. And we only covered the first half. So it sounds about right. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on the first three chapters of Herbert West Reanimator. The next episode, I'll look at the final three and give my final thoughts about this. Very, very interesting must-read story by, by H.P. Lovecraft. So sorry if I brought the sound at the beginning of this episode. Uh, it's just uh, the settings on my microphone. I have to be careful with them. I think I need a new microphone. I've known for a while, but in China it's been hard to get the, the one I want. So, but anyways, if you have any comments, other comments about the story, especially the first half, let me know. Uh, leave me a comment uh, below. Send me a tweeter, Twitter, a tweet. Send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to do, I will uh, be glad to, to read your comments on this story. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time with my concluding thoughts on this story.